the uh, uh, remnant was taken off to Babylon and held there for 70 years. But there were all of these prophecies that God was going to bring them back. And he was going to bring back a transformed, renewed nation. And now he has brought these people back and they have started to work on restoring Israel. Now, a lot of prophets, you know, spoke during that time when Israel was really wayward. And so, a lot of times when we think of the prophets, we think of these really sort of harsh rebukes and, you know, prophecies of impending doom. But Haggai didn't speak during that time. He spoke at a time when, really, Israel was trying to be faithful. They were trying to follow God. But, in the midst of the challenges that they faced, in the midst of their fears and temptations, they were sort of they were in danger of losing their way. And so he comes and gives a word of encouragement and a word of correction to help them stay on the path. And I think that we all have something to learn from the word that Haggai spoke. You know, whatever situation that we're in, the challenges we face, whether we've got stress or we're dealing with loss, uh, if we feel stuck, we don't know, we're unsure of the way forward, if we feel discouraged or we're you know, struggling to have hope, if things look sort of big and tough and impossible and intimidating, what we need is for God to come to us and speak. What we need is the word of the Lord. And so, what we want to do is be able to understand, we want to understand the situation that Israel was in. We want to be able to walk in their shoes, in a sense, and understand how God came and met them in their hour of need. And then for us, in the midst of that, to listen, okay, how is God, how is God speaking to me sort of in the situations that I am facing? So let's, let's pray that God comes and speaks to us today. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful um, that you've brought us here together as your people. Uh, you've provided this space for us to focus on your word. We pray that you would come and speak to us in all the different places that we are today. What we want to hear is your voice. So help us to understand what was going on in Israel. Help us to understand the word of prophecy that you gave through Haggai. And help us to understand what you're saying to our hearts in the midst of that in the ways that you want us to put your promises into action so that we can learn more about your love and your faithfulness to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, can we get my first uh, slide up there? We are going to look at Haggai chapter 2. Now, Haggai... Um, Chapter 2 really has three sections. We're just going to look at the first section, the first nine verses. And um, there are three sort of main characters or groups of people in that. There is uh, Zerubbabel. I think he has one of the coolest names in the Bible, <laughs> Zerubbabel. Um, Zerubbabel is a descendant of David. And so he would be the, sort of the rightful king. And he, but he is the governor. So but he represents the political leadership. So they speak to uh, um, Zerubbabel and then to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. That's not Joshua, the son of Nun, from we usually think of in the Old Testament. There we go. Um, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. He is the high priest. 
And so there he's speaking to the religious leadership. And then he also speaks to all of the remnant of the people. So this is what is left of the Israelites. And so it says here, it says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of the prophet Haggai. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Now, this is about seven weeks, just seven weeks, after the prophecy in chapter 1. Sometimes when you look at the prophets, like if you look at the book of Isaiah, there's all these lists of prophets and they span years and years and it can be confusing about sort of when they happen and the events to tie them to. But this is really clear. This is giving us like the month and the day that this prophecy came on. They received the word of the Lord in chapter 1 that you should now go and start rebuilding the temple. You need to start rebuilding the house of the Lord. And they, they talked about it and they discussed for about three weeks. And then they started. They responded to the word of the Lord in faith and they started building, rebuilding the temple. And now, this is seven weeks later, so, so they have been working on the temple for four weeks. They've been working on the temple for four weeks. And to understand where they are now, we want to understand sort of the faith that they've demonstrated for these last four weeks. They've started working on the temple. And when Haggai came and first spoke to the people, he was really speaking to a people who had lost their sense of mission. They had lost their focus on God's mission. See, God had transformed them spiritually. He had brought them back to their homeland. They had received this blessing, and now they were trying to restore and rebuild Israel. But they had forgotten that it's more than just about restoring a homeland, but they are supposed to be the people of God and a light to the nations. They're not supposed to just be people who have houses and their own religious worship, but they are supposed to be a light to the nations. Now, all of this was prophesied before they went off into exile by Isaiah and other prophets. And uh, um, oh, I don't know if you can shrink that down so the whole slide comes across. Oh, there we go. Thank you. Um, uh, here are some of the prophecies that came from Isaiah. It says, it says, you're not just supposed to be a normal nation. The glory of the Lord will be seen upon you. It says, you are going to be a light to all of the nations around you. And, this is, you know, the, the sons of the people who oppressed you, right? So these people who came and conquered you, and that was over 70 years ago. So now, it's their descendants, right? They're actually going to come and bow before you. They are going to come and bow before you. And they are going to acknowledge that this, that Jerusalem is the city of the one true God. See, this is what God brought them back for. That is the mission that he has for them. Not just to have them inhabit the land, but for them to be the people of God and be a light to all of the nations around them. But they had lost their focus on that. 
they had lost the greater vision of what they were supposed to be. And they were caught up in trying to build nicer houses for themselves. In chapter 1, the word of the Lord came through Haggai, and they responded in faith. They laid aside their focus on building their own houses, and they've started work on God's house. Now, as we look at this prophecy in Haggai chapter 2 that comes four weeks after they started working, it's not really going to make sense to us unless we also have responded in faith to that first call. Have we dedicated ourselves to building God's house? Because he's going to deal with some of the obstacles and tensions that you face when you're building God's house. But we've got to be in that place. Have we made Jesus' last words? Have we made the Great Commission our main calling? Are we also dedicated to building God's house? This isn't um, this isn't just a question that we ask once in our lives. It's really a question that we need to ask daily. See, because if we're not focused on God's mission, and if we're not surrounded by a community of people who are also focused on God's mission and are encouraging us to do this, do it too, we, we're going to experience drift. We are going to experience that temptation to want to just focus on our own house. Like the Israelites, we're going to be tempted with things that are going to cause us to want us, or they're going to cause us to take us out of living missionally and to have us focus on our own comfort, to living comfortably. But then we'll end us up in spiritual poverty. And that is what had happened for the Israelites. That they had lost their focus on God's mission, living missionally. And they were try, just trying to focus on living comfortably. And they were on the path. They hadn't got there yet, but they were on the path to spiritual poverty. And if you remember from looking at uh, chapter 1, they were also experiencing uh, physical poverty. They were trying to build their own houses, but more and more, they, there just wasn't enough because they didn't have God's blessing. They responded to the word of the Lord. They committed themselves to what God was calling them to do in building the temple. And they decided that they were going to trust God with their purpose. And they were going to trust God with their comfort. And they were going to trust God with their wealth. And they started rebuilding the temple. Now, after working for about a month, you can, you can sort of feel it, you can hear it. There's probably some grumbling going on. And I want, us to, I want us to understand and appreciate what an intimidating task they have taken on. It is a big task. So, the first time the temple was built, Solomon, it was built by King Solomon. He was the king. Um, his father, King David, had led Israel on a series of very successful military campaigns, enlarged their borders, made, Solomon made peace treaties with surrounding nations, uh, was uh, really good at trade, brought like unprecedented wealth to the country. David collected all of this money and all of these resources and set it up and gave it to Solomon. And then they spent years building this 
magnificent temple. Israel was a dominant regional power. They had the whole country, all of those resources to build this temple. These people are refugees. They don't have a whole country. They just have enough people. They don't even have enough people to fill Jerusalem. They are a little ragtag band who's been sent back to Israel and Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel, he's not even the king. They're not even a country. He's the governor. When they look at it, if they are looking for a situation like when Solomon built the temple, this is not it. In chapter 1 they said, it's not the time to start building the house of the Lord. If they were looking for a time like they had when Solomon started building, they were right. This isn't it. It is a big and intimidating task. But God has another plan. And they put their faith, they put their faith in God, and they said, okay, we're going to start working. We're going to start doing it. But now once they've started, just a month in, the word of the Lord comes again. And it says, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it? How do you see it now? Is it not nothing in your eyes? So, he's asking him this question, and he's exposing what's going on. He's exposing their grumbling. There must have been some old-timers there that they saw the older temple. And that they know, now they've been working a month, they've seen the foundation laid out, they've got the plan, that what they're trying to build is a lot smaller than what they were working on before. It was nothing in their eyes. The people have started, but they are discouraged because they look at the results of what they're able to do, and it just doesn't seem worth it. It just doesn't seem worth it. I mean, I think for us, as we try and live missionally, as we try and live with Jesus' last words, the Great Commission being our main calling, it's really easy for us to get tripped up by both of these two obstacles. These are two of the biggest obstacles to living on God's mission. One is we feel like the task is too big for us. It is just too big. We are going to fail, so why start anyway? Right? They've taken the initial steps past that. But the second one is, is like, well, even if we do succeed, sort of what we can do, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? Is it going to be glorious? Are great things going to happen? Those are some of the biggest obstacles to us really stepping into having our lives being about building God's house. I think we're tempted by the same things. We know that all of us have a call to make disciples of people from every ethnic group. It takes a lot of time and sacrifice. It's difficult. Sometimes it's risky. And we look at what we can do in our own strength and the fruit of that, and we think, oh man, is this really going to be worth it? Is this going to be worth it? And if we look at what we can do in our own strength, that's, that's a good question. If we look at what we can do compared with what God can do, if we forget what God has promised to do, what he can do, we just look at what we can do, and I think, oh, it won't be worth it. 
And I think that's what the Israelites were doing. They were looking at what just they could do in building a temple. And it just didn't seem worth it. They had lost focus on what God had promised. I think a lot of times we get started, we get excited about living on God's mission. But if the fruit doesn't come as fast as we expected, we run into roadblocks or obstacles, things don't work out the way we wanted, there's difficulties, we start looking at what we can do in our own strength and we think, this isn't really that great. This isn't really worth it. And we can step out of God's mission. That's the temptation. I think um, I've been there. I've experienced this. And just one, one story I remember uh, a small group I was leading, and I had led small groups before, successful small groups, but started this small group. And uh, I was sincerely working really hard to serve these people, to prepare lessons and get together with people and have some social events. But there was a large a contingent, a large contingent of the group that, that just wasn't happy with it. They kept coming, but they kept complaining. Things they didn't like. Things they wanted to be different. They had different expectations. They had had some other small group experience somewhere that had been better. And I just wasn't, my small group just wasn't measuring up. And they were complaining. And, you know, I am not a perfect person. And they had the gall to see my flaws more than my sincere effort and to tell me about it. And I, I was discouraged. These people, they were supposed to, it was my small group, they were supposed to be my community. But they became my discouragement. And I was, I was frustrated. And I wanted to quit. What I could do on my own, this is like, this is not worth it. I was like, God, I have better things to do. Um, and I remember wrestling with the Lord. I wanted, I wanted to pack it in. It's like, this small group is... I am not having fun. I am not having any fun. You know, it's like you're going to, to small group. You want, you're trying to encourage everyone to small group, but you don't want to go yourself. You know, <laughs> like this is not what I'm looking forward to this week. And uh, the word of the Lord came to me and spoke. And uh, I will share that, the rest of that story in a bit, right after we hear how God came and spoke to the Israelites. But I just remember, I was just like, yeah, sometimes we get discouraged. I, was, I would have much preferred to have fun, relaxing Wednesday nights than to go there. But that wasn't the word of the Lord for me. See, God comes and speaks to the Israelites. He, direct, he directly addresses their concern, their discouragement, that this just isn't big enough. This isn't going to get them where they're going. It's like, it says, I know what you're thinking. This isn't the temple that you were expecting. This is so small. It is not the architectural masterpiece that impressed all the nations before. People aren't going to come to this and be impressed. They're going to come to this and laugh. That's what you're thinking. So he exposes their hearts, and then he comes and says, Yet now, be strong. Zerubbabel, declares the Lord, Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. 
For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So he comes, he exposes their hearts, and then he gives them both commands and promises. Commands and promises. The commands are to work, are to be strong, to work, and to not fear. The promises are that he is with them and that he is going to do something awesome. He's going to shake the nations, overturning the world political order, and he's going to bring peace to Israel. And in that process, he's going to bring the wealth of nations to Israel. For all of their life and the life of their parents, they've seen the wealth of Israel leaving, being taken, and being robbed. And now he's saying, I'm going to shake that, I'm going to turn it over, and I'm going to reverse the flow of that and bring the wealth of nations into Israel, into Jerusalem. They are doing a little thing. They are working on this relatively small building. But God, God is going to use it to do much, much more. He's got a bigger plan about what he is going to do, both in the building, but even more so in the people to make them into the people of God who are going to be a light to the nations. And so that they come to Jerusalem and acknowledge that that is the house of the one true God. He commands them to be strong. And we all need courage. We all face challenges. We all face risks. You know, I think in my experience, if we get to that place in life where we're like, we're kind of like, I got this, then we're probably going to mess it up. We need courage and confidence. But the courage that God has called us to is not just a simple bravery. It is a courage that is based on a promise. It is a courage based on the promise of a word of of someone upon whom we can totally rely. It is based on the promise that God is with us and that God is going to act. Haggai doesn't just say, hey, be brave and do your job. He doesn't say, suck it up and sacrifice for the team. The message is, be strong and work for I am with you. It's like like Moses, like Joshua, like David. God is calling them into a course of action based on a promise. A course of action rooted in the fact that God is with them. Now, God also tells them to do their work. As these two commands that are uh, attitudes, be strong, fear not. And then there's one command that is action. Do your work. So, he hasn't explained 
you know, all of what he's going to do yet. But he's like, you need to go build the temple. Put one rock on top of the other. Measure, cut, clear land. Simple mundane things. Do your work. They're discouraged about their work. That's what, that was the point again. They don't, they're looking at it and thinking, is this, is this really going to be worth it? It seemed to them both at the same time too big and intimidating and too small. Not really, the outcome not going to be worth it. Seemed too big for a band of refugees to tackle. Why work and sacrifice for something that we could fail in doing or in the end just isn't going to be that great? Somehow, they're going to do all of this work, they're afraid. But then God isn't going to fill it with something glorious. And it's just going to be this small building. And so they're afraid. They're stuck. Can you feel the paralysis? The paralysis they felt? Like, is this really going to be worth it? Is this going to get us where we want to go? I think we, can, we struggle with both of these feelings. Intimidated because it's too big or not really sure that God is going to come and fill the things we do to make them into something glorious and worthwhile. So why try? It's a question we've got to ask ourselves. If we are going to live with our lives as the Great Commission is our main calling, do we really believe that God is going to come into that and do something glorious and wonderful that he is going to take care of us and make us into a people that people look, look at our lives and say, oh my gosh, you know, you know God, or you know something. You've got something that I don't. Do we believe that God is going to do something larger than ourselves, larger than we can do on our own? I think uh, Israel, as they are wrestling with this, I think, you know, there's two problems. I think one is they are looking just at what they can do in their own strength, not what they can do in God's strength. And they're looking just at what they can do in their own strength and not what they can do in God's strength. And if you look at what, if I look at what I can do in my strength, is it really going to be worth it? Probably not. If I look what I can do in God's strength, obeying God, then it is. But they lost that focus. They were looking at what they could do in their own strength. But the second is, is they have forgotten God's promise that God is going to do something beyond them, outside of them. That really doesn't have to do with what's happening in their strength. He is going to shake the nations. He is going to do all of these things in the other countries to bring them to bow down in Jerusalem to acknowledge that He's the one true God. See, God, it's not just about what he can do through our strength. He has a much larger plan. He has a much larger plan to come and both transform Israel, but also to use it to be a light to the nations. See, God isn't that concerned about what we can do in our strength. He could build churches, gather lots of people. He could do all of that without us. What he's concerned with is he wants us to know his love and his power and his presence. He wants us to see him 
be faithful in his promises. He wants us to know that if we follow him, he always makes it more than worth it. So he tells them to be strong and fear not and to step forward into doing the work. He is with them. His spirit is in their midst. And he's going to do mighty things. He wants them to see him be faithful to his promises. So let's break down some of these mighty things that God is going to do. It says, for once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Now, this is not an earthquake and a storm. When the words of prophecy, when they say this, they are talking about a, both a spiritual, an earthquake, a reshaping in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. God is going to turn things upside down. The heavens and the earth. Then he breaks it down and gets a little more specific. I am going to shake the nations. I'm going to turn things upside down. Now we know from uh, history that he does this. That the Babylonian Empire is going to get uh, overthrown. And uh, the, what is it? The other nations around them, they are going to be conquered. That everything is going to be turned upside down. We know that this happens. And, but in the midst of that, what he promises is that the order of all of the wealth of Israel going out, it is going to now come into Israel. This, I will shake the nations and I will fill this house with glory. You see, God is going to do something. This has nothing to do with what they're doing building the temple. He's going to do things out there in the nations that have nothing to do with their efforts and what they can do in their strength. But they are going to benefit from that blessing because this is part of God's plans. So he is going to do something through what they can do in his strength but he is also going to do something much, much larger than that. I, um, uh, I want to tell you a story. Is, uh, uh, a story a friend of mine uh, just told me uh, this week. And I, it is just an example of this, that doing these really simple things, building a temple that seems small, God can do something really outsized with it. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, name is Nate, he's a college student, kind of a quiet guy, um, went on a mission trip. Uh, went on a mission trip to, um, they were in Indonesia, so a Muslim nation. Uh, many people had only, don't know Jesus, only heard a little bit about Jesus. And uh, during this trip, him and the, and the whole team, they're, just, they're going out every day. They you know, go to places like a park or a mall, and they just try and engage people in a conversation and then bring up spiritual topics. So they'll say, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a believer in Esau. I believe in Jesus. And sometimes they'd ask to, uh, um, to pray with people, anything they can to uh, just engage people in a spiritual conversation and find open people. And in the team, they'd been doing this um, for quite some time, just you know, person after person after person. And I think there's a lot of ways you could look at it and just think, oh man, where's the fruit? Where's the impact this is having? They have some good conversations, but uh, this is actually, he'd, uh, he'd done another trip to Mongolia and done this many times, and then he'd come to Mon uh, Indonesia, 
but never seen anyone come to Christ. Shared with lots of people. So, uh, uh, towards the end of the trip, so that, that day, you know, they, they'd send people out in pairs. He was paired with a fifth grader. So and this is not an evangelistic powerhouse team. Um, or, you know, or maybe it is, right? He was paired with a fifth grader. He's kind of a quiet guy. And, they, uh, and there's a guy in the park, and they, they go up and to, to talk to him. And, uh, you know, they ask him some questions, get to know him, say they're followers of Jesus. And uh, the conversation doesn't, you know, take a big spiritual turn. But, during the, the midst of the conversation, the guy shares that he's in real financial need. And he's got some real financial struggles. And, and so Nate says, oh, well, can I pray for you? And the guy says, okay. And so he prays for him and God would provide. That's the end of the conversation. He says, well, can, you know, can we meet again and talk more you know, later? So they like, you know, exchange phone numbers and he says yes. And it does not seem like anything spectacular happened. He gets together with him three weeks later. No, three days later, and uh, the guy tells this story. He says, you, um, you prayed for me, and the next day, I saw a family on the side of the road with flat tire, and they needed help. And so I went and helped them change their tire. And they gave me money. And I just, I had never seen an answered prayer like that. All this time at the mosque and praying, I'd never seen answered prayer like that. And he says, when you were praying for me, I saw your face glowing. Now, Nate had no idea that that was true the first time. He says, and he says I, I went to the mosque, and I was like, I've never seen answered prayers like that, and I've never seen, why are there people's faces not glowing when they're praying here? And then he had a dream, and he saw God, Allah, on one, and then the cross. He said, and they came together to become one. And so Nate, and he was paired with another college student that day, guy's an even quieter guy. And, uh, but they explained to him what that gene meant, that Jesus is God, and led the guy to Christ right then. And so he was like, so then, uh, I don't know if it was that day or the next day, they baptized him, and uh, he was just in tears saying, my, my wife and my family, these other people, they need to know this. Now, that mission trip ended, and uh, um, they went home, but they handed him off to some of the people that were uh, there longer. And so they got the report back that that guy has now led his mosque leader and his mosque leader's wife to Jesus. And that they've started there a small group of people who are studying the scriptures to teach other people about Jesus. Um, I mean, that's a, a crazy, great story. And but there were a lot of people who shared the gospel a lot of times, sort of you know, putting one stat, stone on top of the other, thinking, this is not very glorious. But God has a plan that's outside of us, much bigger than us, to bring the nations to himself. Every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. But a lot of times the things he calls us to do don't seem very glorious. They seem kind of risky. They seem tough. They seem like a sacrifice, but he wants to make us into that light to the nations. Um, when I was in my time of discouragement, leading a small group, the Lord came and spoke to me. He didn't promise to shake the nations or even shake up that small group. He asked me a question. Just like he asked the Israelites here a question. He said, are you really loving these people? Are you just doing 
what you think you're supposed to be doing. And in that moment, I was convicted. I, I was working really hard to do what I was supposed to be doing, what I thought I was supposed to be doing as a faithful Christian. I was working really hard at that, to you know, prepare lessons and build relationships with people and try and build community. Uh, but in the midst of working so hard to do it, my heart wasn't really loving the people. I was working really hard to do the right thing. And so my, my heart was convicted. I was like, oh man, I am not, I am not full of love for these folks. And you know, when things get frustrating, it's easy to, to see that in yourself. <laughs> You're not really loving uh, the people. But yeah, I was working really hard because I wanted to have you know, a small group where people had a good time and where they learned and they grew. That's what I, that was what I was looking for. But God had called me to love a resistant and complaining people. That was the call. Not to have this great small group that everyone would look at and say, well, this is going great. He called me to love a resistant and complaining people. Um, what I think really surprised me is that I found as I uh, responded to that, that that word of the Lord actually became really, really freeing for me as I tried to step into loving those people. You see, I stopped worrying about whether I was doing everything right. I stopped worrying about whether this was a successful small group or not. I stopped worrying about whether people liked me or not, whether they liked my leadership. I, I didn't care about all those things. I just started trying to love the people. And I felt much more free. Now, the amazing thing was, was that, although, is it, that small group ended. It never really changed. <laughs> but there was a transformation in me. And uh, as I moved on and led other small groups, I found that people appreciated my, my service and my love much more. And that I felt a lot more free. And that I began to attain that success that I was uh, in leading people that I was lacking before, uh, just in a new way. As I responded to the word of the Lord, God made me a blessing to other people, and I just I found more joy in serving. See, God has called us all to be builders of his house. And sometimes it looks big and intimidating, and sometimes it looks small and like, is this really going to produce fruit that's worth it? And we can get stuck in both of those things. God has a call for all of us to his great commission. Not just for pastors, not just for missionaries. It's not even just for us when we're off on a mission trip. He's got a call for us to make the great commission our main calling in our lives. But are we going to put our trust in him that there's nothing that is too big and too intimidating for him and that he is going to take our small and little offering and turn it into something not just worthwhile, but something glorious. Because he wants us to be his representatives on earth. So, as we think about how to apply this, 
I'm going to ask us to do a couple of things. Um, one is I want us to think, of, hey, where are we? Where are we in this story? We could be in a few places. Maybe we're in, in the place where they were in Haggai chapter 1. We need to dedicate ourselves or rededicate ourselves and say, hey, we are really all in in this mission that Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations. Maybe there are ways we've sort of lost our focus on that. and Maybe we need to rededicate it and say, hey, I believe in God's promises. I've got to rededicate myself to that. Second, maybe you've, you've taken that step, but now you're, you're looking at whatever God has in front of you and it looks too big and too intimidating and you're feeling kind of stuck. You're feeling kind of afraid. That's where... Uh, they were at the beginning of this chapter. Or third, maybe you've like taken some steps, but you're, you're really in that place. You're asking, man, is this really going to be worth it? <laughs> if I go all in on this, is God really going to make this worth it for me? Is this going to be something glorious? Or, the last one is may, maybe you're in that place. Hey, you've received the word, and you are believing in God's promises, and you need to be turned around and encouraging other people who are in those other two places. That you've got the word of the Lord and you need to encourage others. So, let's just take a time as uh, we enter into worship again to just reflect and say, hey, where am I in these things? And then just say, where, what does it mean for us to trust in God's promises? What is the step of action God is calling me to? It might be sharing the gospel with someone. It might be just going and saying, God, I just need to hear your word. You know, whatever challenge you're facing, maybe you need to just sit before the Lord and say, hey, what's your word to me? You know, the, the word to the, uh, of the Lord to me at that time is not the word I was expecting. I was expecting some word about how to fix this small group. God had a word for me about how to fix my heart. And that's really what he did. For the Israelites, they were worried about the temple, but he really had a word about their hearts to put their faith in him. So, let us just enter in time of prayer and worship and let the word of the Lord come to you and speak to you. So let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you are here with us. We are thankful for your almighty promises. We are thankful that you are safe and sure that your word endures. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and speak to each one of our hearts in the different challenges that we face, that we would believe in your promises to do things through us and to do things beyond us for the glory of your name to make us into a people that is a light, a light to the world around us. And that, Jesus, we would know that your Spirit is in our midst, that you are with us and for us. So come now, Lord Jesus. Come speak your word, that we would know your love, know your grace. Amen.